John chapter 21. John 21. This is in the Gospels. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. We're looking at a passage this morning, an episode in the disciples' life near the end of the book of John. And, and this passage is not very popular, and it's, and it's not popular not because of what it says, and it's not popular because of what it doesn't say. It's just not popular because of its company. We're coming out of uh, one of the highest peaks in the biblical narrative. We have Jesus' trial, his betrayal, not only by Judas, but by Peter. We have his crucifixion. We have his resurrection. And then John puts this story immediately following that event, this event on the beach. And on the other side of it, we have Peter's restoration. I mean, we've heard since we were little kids, right? You know, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's kind of like that really good player on the basketball team that nobody really knows because there's so many other good players out there. This is what's going on in this passage. We have this little episode on the beach. And I want to begin this way, and I want to illustrate uh, like this. Have you ever had a situation where you, you've, been, you've been at work doing what you typically do on a Tuesday, and, and it's not your boss, it's not your manager, but the CEO walks in. What immediately happens to the climate of the room? Everybody starts getting busy, right? Look like you're doing something. You know, put down the coffee. You know, somebody give me a memo. Something, right? Everybody gets really, really busy. Mom, what about you? The pastor's watch just says, hey, I need to stop by real quick. Just want to ask you something and, and sit down with you for a minute. And you're going, I'm in my PJs. Uh, I have done nothing with my hair. I've got laundry strewn all over the living room. It's that same kind of panic. When the, when the CE shows up, everybody starts to kind of change their behavior, right? Well, in our passage this morning, the CE, CEO shows up. He shows up on the scene, unexpected, uncalled. It's a surprise. And here's the context. Remember, we're coming out of, we're coming out of this, this, this peak of the biblical story. These, these incredible things have just happened. And one of those events is, is the betrayal. It's Peter's betrayal, right? You remember Peter and Jesus' conversation before he was tried. And Peter said in the upper room, no, Jesus, I won't betray you. And Jesus says, well, actually, yeah, you will. And he says, and it's not going to be this, this real private, this private thing. It's going to be very public. And actually, you're not going to do it once, but you're going to do it three times. And actually, you're going to do it before the rooster crows in the morning. And from that point on, we don't have a recorded event with Peter until John chapter 21. And so we're begging. We're going, okay, how's this going to unfold? Is this going to be the tongue lashing of the millennia? Is this where Peter is going to get his comeuppance? Right? Peter and Jesus have that encounter. They have that conversation. It's sweet. You should read the rest of John chapter 21. But something happens first. We have this simple meal on the beach. We have fire. We have coals. We have the CEO. And we have his beloved disciples. Just seven of them. Not all 12. Just seven. So with that in mind, let's read our passage together. This is John chapter 21. And, and here's the question I want going through your mind as we read this passage. Why, why is he here? Why is the CEO here? Why is Jesus shown back up? Why is the glorified Jesus come back? 
This is John 21, 1 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter called Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, Come and have some breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, and he took the bread, and he gave it to him, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father, you promise that your word will not return void. And so we pray for a blessing tenfold. Father, would you show us your heart, your posture towards us? Would you show us something about ourselves? And would you show us something about this world in which we live in so that we might fully honor you and love you better? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The question is, is, is why is Jesus here? Why is, the, why is the CEO shown back up? Why is he here? And, and, and as you read the story kind of from left to right as we're supposed to with John, as a story, like I said, we're begging for the, when are Peter and Jesus going to get face to face? And not only that, but what's going to happen? I mean, is Jesus going to have the clipboard? Is he going to be like, guess what you didn't do well? Is Jesus going to have the progress report? Is it going to be A, B, and C, Peter, disciples? Hey, y'all, y'all need to listen up. Pay attention here because you're slacking off. Is that what he's doing here? I'm, I'm just going to suggest this morning that we don't see an auditor God. Yes, he's going to take care of things with Peter. He's going to do that. But I want us to notice what he does first. And I want to characterize it this way. We, what we see in this passage this morning is, is a cameo God. A cameo God. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a little bit. But if you're taking notes this morning, Jesus, Jesus has, come, has come to serve. The CEO has actually come back to serve his disciples. That's why he's here. And he's going to do it three ways. So if you're, you're writing these down, here are the three ways in which Jesus is going to do that. He's going to do it thoroughly. He's going to serve them thoroughly. He's going to do it continually. And then finally, he's going to do it exclusively. So thoroughly, continually, and exclusively. Jesus is here to serve the disciples thoroughly. Okay, let's look again back at verse 3. Look what verse 3 says. It says, Simon Peter came to them and said, I'm going fishing. 
And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. By the next morning, they were bankrupt. Now, it's one thing for, for, for us. We're, we're sportsmen, right? I know there's a lot of outdoorsmen here that, that love going out and going out fishing. It's one thing for us uh, to go out and, and spend a morning and, and fish and catch nothing. We may not catch something that we can't keep. It may be small, but we'll get something. Most likely, we'll get something. It's one thing for us to go fishing and get skunked. It's another thing entirely for someone who has spent the last you know, 15 years of their life learning this trade learning how to fish from their father. Peter was a fisherman before he entered into public ministry. He was trained by his family. His brother was involved with him. This is a professional fisherman. And he goes out, and the passage is clear to say they fished from dusk until dawn. And John says they caught absolutely nothing. And for us, we kind of go, okay, you know, we, we get skunk, that's no big deal. But for a professional fisherman whose livelihood depends upon their ability to bring in fish, and that, so not only can they feed their family, but so they can go to a market and sell the fish and provide for their family. We find our disciples just bankrupt, empty nets, Jesus gone, and helpless. It's a sad place to be. It's a difficult place to be. And Jesus shows up, and the CEO comes back because he wants to tell his disciples something. He's saying, look, I'm, I want to take care of your physical needs, but I'm pointing to something bigger here. I'm reminding you, and, and, and Paul says this very well in the New Testament, I'm reminding you of this one simple truth, and it's this, gentlemen. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. I need to remind you all of this truth. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Remember, disciples, I, I am your source of strength. I will provide for you and, 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 and nobody else. And, and, and I wonder if this, if this is, has, has sunk into our hearts because here's, here's what we do. And here's, here's, here's my proclivity. I'll, I'll tell you mine first is, is, is my trade as a, as a pastor. I was a biblical studies major. I went to seminary. I've been trained in Hebrew and Greek. I've been tested by the presbytery. And it is so easy in my flesh to say, you know, this ministry thing that we're doing here, Lord, this thing right here, got it. Train for it. I can do it. You can help with finances. You can help with parenting. I, I could use some help there, but we kind of compartmentalize based on what we're good with, aren't we? You might be an accountant. You're great with numbers. You're very gifted. And, and subtly, what, what we'll tell ourselves is this, is, is Jesus, you know, I kind of got this base covered. I'm good. You know, the accounting stuff, I've been trained. This is my trade. There are a few things I can kind of sneak past my radar. I got it. Now, how to be a good husband? Yeah, you can help with that. I don't know what I'm doing there. What about you, Mom? And, and specifically, the stay-at-home mom. You, you've got the kids all day. You, you've been working hard. You're, you're very maternal. And, and parenting, you're just going to, I feel like, okay, we're getting things going here. You know, Jesus, you can help with some other things, but, I mean, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Laundry, all this, you know, the, the list goes on. Don't we do that with Jesus sometimes? We say, there's some things you can help us with, but there are other things based on my gifts and my trade. This is... I've been doing this my whole life. I really don't need you there. And this is why Jesus shows up. He's, he's telling disciples, hey, gentlemen, don't forget this. I know, Peter, you're a great fisherman. Don't forget this one simple truth. Apart from me, you've got absolutely nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I alone am your source of strength. And I'm here to serve you thoroughly. 
this kind of piggyback, piggybacks into the, uh, into the next point, which is Jesus' service to his disciples continually. You see, we're, we're at a point in the story where as, as you're reading this and you come to this point in this fact that Jesus is here to serve his disciples again, what we notice is that this is no new story. I mean, this is the, this is the biblical story. God coming to serve his people. God coming to wash his people's feet. Go back to Exodus 12. Right? They're in, they're in captive Egypt. They're under Pharaoh's rule. And, and the Lord makes his promise. He says, you know, with all the plagues, we're at the last one. He says, if you put the blood over the doorpost, if you cover it, I will pass over you. And I won't kill your firstborn son. I will save you. I will spare you. And after this event happened, they, they had this feast called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And it was to celebrate this one fact that the only thing that saved us, our only strength and our only hope, and apart from this man, we can do nothing, is the Lord Jesus Christ, is God. Fast forward a couple more chapters. They've left Egypt and they're in the wilderness. They're wandering. They're complaining because they don't have food. And what happens? The Lord sends the quail. And the Lord sends the manna. And it's to remind us of the same point again, is that apart from me, you can do nothing. I alone will be your source of strength. This is not just an Old Testament idea. It's a New Testament idea. We're on the beach. I mean, this is, this is like volume one of the story, right? Peter's being called to ministry. And he's out there. He's fishing. He's fished all night. John says he fished all night again. And what happens? He catches nothing. He catches nothing. Until what? Until Jesus shows up. Jesus says it's on the other side. He pulls it in. And Jesus says, by the way, we're going to catch men from now on, not fish. We have it at the beginning of Peter's life. And we have it at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus' public ministry. This one fact, apart from me, Peter, apart from me, disciples, apart from me, God's people, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is not an old truth. This is not something that's just unique to the New Testament. It's the biblical story of God is here to serve and to help his people. I want us to consider this this morning. I want us to look at, the, at this point in the story in John 21. What do the disciples have in their tool belt, so to speak? What have they been given by the Lord? And let me suggest a few things. They've, they've walked with Jesus for three years. The Jesus, the man. So they've, they've kind of locked arms with him. They've been right next to the guy. All right? They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him perform, this, perform a miracle of food. Remember the feeding of the 5,000 on the Sea of Tiberias? They were there. Remember the upper room when he gave communion? They were there. They've gotten to see some pretty incredible things. They've seen demons cast out. They've seen miracles. They've seen the blind given sight, the lame healed. And they've been given this, this incredible thing called the Great Commission. He's saying, disciples, you, I'm going to delegate this to you. You get to be my representatives. You get to be my ambassadors to the world. You have the gospel. Now go and share. What are they missing? I mean, you'd think if they had, you know, the, the witness and, and what they'd seen in, in Jesus' life and they'd had the charge, they'd been entrusted with this most precious of things, called the gospel. You think they've got it all, right? What else do they need? What I think this passage is trying to show us is that the man is the message. Disciples, you, you cannot forget this one point. You can have the gospel. 
you can have this understanding that in this information that you assent to. And you can even have eyewitness eye, eye of what I've done and what you've seen. But let me reiterate this point, disciples, over this meal. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. I am the message. I am the hope. I am the good news. The God that comes to serve wants to serve other people. Jesus is the key. He himself. I wonder sometimes if, if a church can do this. A church can, can clearly present the gospel. It can articulate it very well. It can point its people to a, a mission, something specific, and say, you know, here's what we're going to do. We even got pamphlets and brochures in the lobby. And even witnessed some, some incredible things at, at, at a church. And, and watch some incredible things happen in our communities, in our community groups. You know, sin overcome, fears, anxieties overcome. And still be an impotent church. Because remember, we, we've got the disciples here. They're, they're kind of purposeless. The zeal we see in Acts of the disciples, we don't have that here. They're just kind of stalemate. And that should make us feel just a little bit uncomfortable. Because we go, they had three years with Jesus. They were given the gospel. Look at all they had. Look at all we have. But the CEO shows up and he's like, you know, it's, it's just that simple truth. I'm the message. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I alone will be your source of strength. I alone am here to serve you. Understand that. Everything comes from that. Understand that not, we remain impotent and docile. Finally, Jesus shows up to remind his disciples that, you know, that I'm here to serve you exclusively. There's some things that I'm going to do for you that only I can do. There's no accountability group that can do this for you. There's no internet filter that can do this for you. He alone maintains copyrights of this ability, and that's to serve his people. He says, this is, this is one thing I'm, I'm, I'm really not going to delegate. And Jesus is a great delegator. He does a great job of bringing in these 12 disciples and saying, hey, look, what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you how to do, so then you can go and do it. But there's one thing he says I'm going to step away from. There's one thing that only I can provide, that no one can provide for themselves, and that no one can provide for each other. And he's saying, that's me. I'm going to maintain these rights here. I'm going to hold on to this one. I alone can serve you. I alone will be your strength. I alone will meet your needs thoroughly, continually, and exclusively. Um, I want us to look at, at a couple things before we, we kind of move to close here. I, I want us to look at who's, who's, who is actually making this claim, this CEO, this Jesus, this claim. And I want to introduce it this way. It's, it's one thing for... It's one thing for, for a God-man, you know, the babe, the son of Mary, to come and to serve his people, which he did on a regular basis. You can look through the scriptures, and we had one printed on the front of your bulletin with Peter. I mean, this is the God of creation taking off his clothes and saying, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And this is the God-man Jesus. This is the incarnate, in the flesh, 
Jesus. It's one thing to go through the Gospels and watch Jesus serve his people. And it's beautiful and it's sweet. But let me point out this fact. It's, it's another thing entirely for the Jesus of Philippians 2. And let me read Philippians 2. This is Paul's description of Jesus. Therefore God has exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's, it's one thing for the God-man to come and serve, but let me tell you what, it's another thing for the, for the glorified, the resurrected, the CEO, the one person who had the right to say, you know what, I've, I've served I've done what I was called to do. If anybody could say, yeah, I'm going to put an end on this one. I can draw a line. I can be done. It was Jesus. But you know what he says in his glorified state at the right hand of God the Father? I'm not done. I'm not done serving my people. I'm not out of the service industry. Disciples, members of the church, I haven't traded my blue collar in for a white collar. I still want my hands to smell like your feet. This is the glorified Jesus. You ever seen a CEO clean a toilet? It made me wonder, does, does, has Donald Trump ever emptied out his own trash can? And that's not to knock these guys. It's just to prove the point. We kind of draw lines sometimes. And this is a line that God says, I'm not going to draw. I'm going to do this exclusively. I'm here to serve my people. Past, present, and future. I'm here to serve you. I suggested that the disciples are kind of purposeless here, right? I mean, they're fishing, and we're not going to knock them for that. I mean, they had to eat, so they fished. But, but like I said, the zeal you see in Acts, you don't see here. And so the question is, is how, do we get from, how do we get from the John 21 disciples, this kind of purposeless people, people that have the gospel... They know the gospel. They've watched some incredible things. How do we get them from here to the Acts disciples? What happens? What's the key? And I suggest to you this morning that what this passage is, is trying to remind us is that this very, very simple truth that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And let me, let me prove it to you uh, by Peter's words himself. And let me introduce it this way. Of, of all the meals that Peter got to witness, of all the, of, of all the times he sat down and, and shared a meal across from Jesus and the other disciples, which do you think was the most prominent? Which do you think was his favorite? He could have chosen, you know, the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. That was pretty awesome, right? I mean, as, these, as the bread and, and the fish just multiplied. He could have chosen uh, the Last Supper in the upper room, that real intimate gathering, he could have chosen that one right before Jesus left. But consider which one he chooses. And I want to look at Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I'm going to have you turn here. I wasn't, but I changed my mind. Uh, Acts chapter 10. Because I want you to see this. This is Peter. And let me give you the context here. This is, this is Peter. He's had a dream from the Lord. And the dream is, is this. He saw this sheet coming down. There's animals and God said, eat. And Peter says, no, no, they're unclean. And God's saying, there's nothing unclean anymore. And there's no such thing as unclean. And just then somebody knocks on his door and it's a representative from Cornelius, from Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile, who's not a Jew. 
And he's been summoned to the house of Cornelius. And he goes. And he has this interaction with a man who wasn't raised in the church, but he's a God-fearer. And, and listen to how, listen to what, what Peter recalls. Listen to what Peter brings back out. Listen to the meal that Peter goes, if there was one meal, this one kind of did it for me. Listen to this, Acts chapter 10, verse 39 through 41. Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, we are the witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Get this. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Of all the, of all the meals Peter could have hung his hat on and said, man, this is a powerful one. Peter says, you know what? is that sushi on the beach with Jesus. That's what did it. That's what did it. And that's what moved Peter here from in, in John chapter 21, purposeless. The disciples just kind of stagnant to powerful. And I, I wonder in the back of his mind if he wasn't just thinking, man, it took me this long to get it, but I get it. Apart from Christ, I can do absolutely nothing. And what happens in Cornelius' house? The whole house is converted. A couple thoughts um, this morning in application before we close. And that's this. If, if, if Christ's service to us, if, if the way we look at Christ's service to us, if we always use the past tense, if it's what He's done, and if we think primarily and, and singularly of the cross and the resurrection, the payment for sin, the power over death. If we, when we understand Christ's service to us, if that's what comes to our mind and that's it, we, we understand and we serve a half-Christ. If all Christ has done for us in the past and He has nothing to offer us here, now, in the present, we serve a half-Christ. What Christ is saying is, is what I've done for the disciples is what I want to do for you. I'm here, still here to serve. I'm still here to get dirty. And he shows us that in many ways, and one of which we're going to partake here of just in a few moments. Well, can you think of anything Christ has done for you in the present tense? What in the present tense has Christ done for you saying, this is how Christ has served me. This is how Christ alone has ministered to me. And, and he's the only one that could have done it. Only him. Just Him. We kind of call that a testimony, right? Of, of what God's done in our life presently, in the here and now. He's not done serving. He hasn't put that hat up. He hasn't been promoted. He's still in the business of serving His people. And let me add a little caveat here. Is, as a side note, is, is, is your weakness your testimony? In other words, when you're describing your relationship with Jesus, do you capture this element there? Oh, let me tell you, there's something that he did in my life that only he could do because I'm weak and because he is strong and he served me in this way. He took this out. He dealt with this. He managed this. Right? Is your weakness your testimony? Uh, let me close this way. First to, uh, first to downtown, 
for us, we've got to come to grips with this, uh, this fact that we can't serve others. We can't assume that we can serve others well until we receive and fully embrace the service of Christ. That feels a little funny, doesn't it? I'll say it again. We can't serve others really well. And we can't assume that we're going to go out into downtown and and, and serve this area well until one thing happens first, until we willingly receive and accept the service of Jesus Christ in our lives and in our church. Only as as He serves us are are, are we then able to serve other people well. And so like Peter, the question for us is, when was the last time we let, we let Christ wash our feet? When's the last time, and, and, and this is sort of awkward, self-preserving mode that Peter's in, we just kind of go, Jesus, aren't I supposed to be doing things for you? Aren't I supposed to be serving you? And Jesus says, unless I do this for you, you have no part with me. When was the last time you let Jesus wash your Peter feet? You know, you've heard the phrase before, don't just sit there, do something. And we as an evangelical church have done a good job of, of, of further communicating that idea. But what I believe this passage is telling us this morning is, is just the opposite. Don't just do something. Sometimes you need to sit there. You need to sit there and be ministered to by Christ. You need to have Christ serve you. You need to have Him, have him do some surgery on your heart. Don't just do something. Please don't. Just sit there. Let Christ serve you. That's uncomfortable, I know. I know it is. And if you're visiting with us this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a church member and you're just, you're just kind of exploring this, this thing, religion, Christianity, I would think deep down that this would, this would slightly encourage you. I mean, isn't that the kind of guy you want to follow? Not just a guy that, who's up on a throne saying, okay, here's what I want done. I go make it happen. Although he could. He has every right to. He's creator. We're a creation. He's the maker. We're what's made. He could do that. But you know what he does? He says, here's what I want you to do. I know, by the way, I'm going to personalize it for you. I'm going to show you how it's done. Look at my boy. Look at my son. Look at Jesus. Look at how he embodies this. And not only am I going to show you and give you this living illustration of what I want you to do through my son, but I'm actually going to enable you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to offer you this meal. I want to strengthen you. I want to give you the the means by which you're going to do all these wonderful works of righteousness. I'm going to equip you. Isn't that the kind of guy you want to work for? Isn't that the kind of God you want to be in relationship with? It's true for me. In closing, I suggested this morning that, you know, Jesus could have shown up with a clipboard. He could have shown up to audit Peter. I mean, we were, you're expecting the tongue lashing, right? He and Peter reconcile. But before that, he, he just shows up and serves his people. And I called him a cameo God, and, and I want to explain what I mean by that. And it's this idea, you know, I, I love film, and that's a very... Uh, Nice way of saying I really like to watch movies. Um, it sounds very... Um, I like film. It sounds very intelligent. Um, but I, I love movies because I love how they capture the biblical narrative. And 
And if, and if you know film and you know movies well, there's this, this aspect of movies called a cameo appearance. And here's what a cameo appearance is. It's where you've got a, probably a, a lower budget movie, a one that's not, not very popular. It's probably not going to get a whole lot, of, whole lot of box office money. And probably got some you know, middle to lower class actors. Nobody really famous in it. Okay? And, but, but in order for it to succeed... And in order for this, this, this low-budget film to go well, sometimes what the more you know, A-list actors will do is they'll, they'll show up. They'll have this little cameo appearance. And it's just very short. It's usually just a couple minutes. But what they're saying, what these actors are saying is, is you know, even though I'm an A-lister, I, I love this story so much. And I love what's going on in this narrative so much. I will do whatever is in my power to make sure it succeeds. I want to see it go well. I want to see it through. And I want to see people enjoy it. And I want to see it go very well. And I'm going to show up. I'm, and, and I'm, I'm going to actually put myself in this movie. I'm all in. My name and my face is now attached. But did you know that what makes a cameo, a true cameo appearance is this. Is even though this actor does this on behalf of, of the film, his name cannot appear in the credits. If it appears in the credits, if he takes credit for it, it's not a cameo. But if he doesn't, if when, the, when the, the cast is scroll at the end, if his name is removed, it's a true cameo appearance. And I suggest to you this morning, that's why Jesus is here. He's making a cameo appearance. He loves this narrative. He loves this story. And he wants to see it succeed so well that he'll show up again and again and again and again and again. And by the way, he doesn't want credit for it. Like Philippians says, for the glory of his Father who is in heaven. Let's pray and then let's go to the table together. Father, you could have stepped out. You could have bowed out gracefully. You could have said, it, it doesn't need to be done. But you leave your throne and you grant us your presence once again. And we pray, Father, and, and ask that the battle cry of our church and our hearts would be that apart from you, we as individuals and we as a church, we have, we have nothing. And so, Father, only you can enable us to that end. And we pray it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.